McFly, you Irish bug? Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday... Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey! Think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy it. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework in your handwriting? Good morning. You're listening to 2XFM. 98.3. The program is Subject ACT, where we delve into local and current affairs from an informed and curious gaze. It's Monday the 22nd of August. I'm Becca Posterino. That was the classic 1980s film, Back to the Future, and that iconic character, McFly. The scene depicted bullying in a very fictitious way, but today we look at the very real issue of bullying in schools. I spoke to Dr Barbara Spears, who started her career as a primary school teacher and went on to complete a PhD in girls' bullying behaviours and their peers. Barbara is also the co-director of the Citizenship and Wellbeing Research Group of the Centre from Research in Education at the University of South Australia. Dr Spears makes a clear distinction between bullying and conflict and unpicks the various forms of bullying, including covert and indirect. We also discuss the implication of bullying on a student's relationship to school and learning and how bullying often starts in the home and can be modelled by teachers in the classroom context. Current statistics reveal an alarming one in four Australians has experienced bullying behaviour. The recurring incidence of bullying behaviours could be recognised as a primary issue within schools, in the workplace and at home, having overlap with other forms of domestic and family violence. Thank you for joining us today on Local Current Affairs Program Subject ACT. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. Welcome to the program, Barbara. Thank you very much. Barbara, you started your career as a primary school teacher. You then went on to complete a PhD in girls' bullying behaviours and their peer relationships. What sparked your interest in bullying and particularly girls' bullying behaviour? Well, um, it was quite a while ago, of course, that I uh, embarked on this, but what actually sparked my interest was that in 1993 we had a National Action Plan for the Education of Girls. And in that document, nowhere did it mention that we had a dual education system of single-sex and co-ed schools. In other words, what they were saying in this document around sex-based harassment was that boys were making it difficult for girls, but it never addressed the fact that girls could also make it difficult for girls. And so I started to look at what was happening within the context of girl-to-girl and peer-to-peer aggression and eventually bullying. What is bullying? Well, we need to be very clear that um, you know, the sort of terms I'm going to be using now are sort of the recognised definitional terms so that we understand that bullying is not just conflict between two people. It's not just people having a fight, but it is something that is intentional. It's, so it's intentional forms of aggression. It is about a power difference. So one party there may be a group or there may be an individual, actually has power in some way over another. And there is this notion of it being ongoing and repeated. So whilst a one-off event in an online setting could be deemed to be bullying because 
thousands of people could access it. The repetition in a normal sense around bullying is that every day you come to school, somebody targets you for a particular reason and they are using their their power in an inappropriate way and that they are deliberately provoking this aggressive response. But how do we recognise bullying as students, teachers, parents in the community at large? Okay, I would say that one of the first things we all need to do, and teachers will recognise this immediately, is to ask yourself the question, who has the power in the classroom? Who is using the power appropriately? Who is misusing and abusing their power? So, for example, you know, we often think of the popular girls, the popular young people as being, you know, the ones everybody loves and everybody likes. Well, of course, we can use that popularity power in different ways. So we actually know, for example, that there are two types of popular kids, the ones that everybody loves and are gorgeous and the ones that misuse and abuse their power and they can be the bullies. What is distinctive about girls' bullying behaviours? Okay, so when we first started looking into this area in the, in the 90s, we were drawing on some work that had been done actually in the late 1980s around a form of aggression called indirect aggression. Um, historically, up until then, people had talked about men were the aggressors and women were the caregivers and nurturers, that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Then we started to understand that, well, um, you know, men were physical but women were verbal. And then we moved into, well, yes, but some are direct and some are indirect. And then we moved into this notion of relational forms of aggression and social forms of aggression. So we started to see that um, girls were actually more comfortable using what we call relational, using their peer groups Mm -hmm. and social forms of aggression rather than being physical. The contemporary view, however, is that all kids use all forms of aggression or bullying. Uh, In other words, girls can be physical, they can be verbal, and they can be relational and social. And we're learning that boys, for example, are also, as they're being socialised to not be physically aggressive at school, to use the same forms of social and relational aggression. When girls get given the choice of what is the most effective means of aggression for them, it is more likely to be the relational and social forms of aggression. So these are the rumour spreadings, these are you can't play with me, these are you're not invited to my party type approaches. Are these more along the lines of passive aggression or is is that a simplified notion of this kind of behaviour? It is probably a little simplified because when we talk about bullying, we are talking about a proactive form of aggression. So this is intentional? It is intentional. There is no two ways about it. They know what they're doing. And premeditated. Well, there's another whole debate around that. We talk about hot and cold forms of aggression um, and bullying. So the hot is the impulsive. It's just happened and I'm going to do this because I have a reason for it. Or the cold is more the premeditated. So this is a really complex area of of human behaviour. And if we understood it totally, when we'd have all the problems solved. (laughs) (laughs) We still need some puzzles, social puzzles to to resolve. (laughs) Well, I think think what we need to understand is that when you bring people together, there are going to be people who like and dislike each other. There are going to be people who get along. There are going to be people who find their peer relationships incredibly easy. And there are going to be those who are targeted by others simply because they are different. And it's that form of difference that the difference might be seen as a threat or the difference might be seen as something they unwanted. But wherever we bring people together, these forms of aggression happen. What we need to understand is what does it mean in a schooling context? What does it mean for our children when they're being affected? 
and how can we support them and intervene. Bullying can often be covert. Can you share your insights, perhaps as a teacher and in your research, into the many types of bullying and I guess the strategies which we haven't really covered to confront and resolve bullying in any context? Okay, so covert bullying is the stuff we don't really see. So it is the the underhanded, indirect relational and social forms of aggression. So, you know, in the old days, for example, you might have gone into the toilet and someone would have written something nasty on the wall. These days, that happens online. So it's very hard to actually find the beginning of those situations. Yes. And I will often, when I work with teachers in schools, I'll often ask them the question, have you ever been able to get to the beginning of a girl's argument? Complicated question. <laughs> yes, because with girls, it often goes back years. So when we look at the ways that, and in terms of the answering your question about strategies, we actually need to look at how boys and how girls interact with each other within gender and across gender. And so the, you will find that if you say, what do you see boys doing at lunchtime? What do you see boys kicking a ball around and running around as a pack on the oval? What do you see girls doing? And, and of course, we're talking stereotypes here, but what do you see girls doing at lunchtime? You see them sitting around and talking. Yes. What are they talking about? They're talking about somebody mm-hmm. or the teacher yes. <laughs> or their parents <laughs> and you dare not leave the circle in case you're the next person talked about. So understanding that this is normal behavioural development for these genders then leads us to an understanding of, well, if that's what they do when they socialise and they engage in their friendships, what happens when those friendships fall over? Well, they use the same tactics. So for girls, it's very much about targeting through the relationships and targeting through um, the peer group. So it's you can't if you want to be my friend, you will not play with her at lunchtime. Mm. With the older girls, look what she's done to me in terms of the boy that I like. When we enter puberty, we get another layer happening around the, the relationships. Mm. So the strategies for all of this is first acknowledge that this is, you know, boys and girls do socialise together and across genders in different ways. That in, gives us insight into the sorts of things we should be looking for. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I would really suggest is a really basic strategy for, for across the board mm. is when you challenge kids about what's been going on, they will turn to you and say, oh, we're only joking or we're just fooling around. And it's those words only and just which actually trivialise the behaviour. And as a, as a parent and as an educator, I would be saying to everybody, challenge those words, mm. challenge those behaviours and say, well, who's laughing if mm. it's a joke? And really sort of, you know, if a whole school community, for example, decided that they were not going to accept just and only as forms of deflection, then they're actually making people more accountable for their behaviours. Now, this is not rocket science. This is really about, you know, managing the response and then giving some feedback to it. Mm. You know, if a, if, a, if a girl says, oh, we're just joking, and the, and the target is looking downcast, you know, challenge the question, well, who's laughing? And start to actually unpack those behaviours mm. and to really cast a light on it and say, is this the sort of community we want? Good question to ask. Emotions are often at the heart of many human beings' reactions and, and actions. How important is it for students in particular is to recognise or to help them recognise what they're feeling mm. when they are actually engaging in covert or indirect or mm. direct bullying? Because often at the heart of their action is an unrecognised emotion. 
That's a really important point. Starting really early with very young children, helping them with the vocabulary for their emotions is critically important. Mm. Years ago, a child did a drawing of what a bully looks like. Right. And they had this this character that had, you know, big ears for hearing when someone's turning up, big eyes for Mm. seeing them, big nose for smelling their lunch to steal, big muscles for fighting them. But the most important part of this drawing was the fact that they said, a bully has no heart. And when you understand that that's how a child sees a bully, Mm. that this person has no empathic awareness, Mm. doesn't care what they're doing, has no sensitivity to to what is happening, Mm. then of course the strategy must be, let us encourage our young people to be able to identify their emotions, to recognise empathy in others, and to build on that. Mm. I mean, we've seen some very clear examples, for example, of of our young people on the autism spectrum um, continuum where often these children don't recognise their own emotions and don't mm. recognise the emotions of others. Yes. And as soon as we give the rest of the school and the class an understanding mm. and give them a vocabulary to use and to support that child, we see the bullying fall away. As a scenario, crucial time in a child's life is starting school. And particularly if a child has to shift schools for whatever reason, maybe they're in preschool or kindergarten or their first year grade prep. And with your expertise as a parent and as a student and as a school, how should we be addressing direct bullying where a child is being physically attacked, called names, mm-hmm. and it's having a, an ongoing effect in yes. their relationship to school. They don't want to go to school. They have tummy aches. That's it right. becomes physical. I've yes. heard a lot of stories from various people where the child is actually feeling sick. I know these are complex and drawn-out scenarios, but can you explain for parents and the student, most importantly, the child, how to best address this and recognise it and to manage the situation? I think the early childhood experience is is an interesting and a complex one because, you know, we've, we've got a lot of first-time parents and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, yes, you may, it may be your third child coming yes. through, but let's focus on the first-time parents for now. Yes. Um, the word bullying is thrown around. People don't necessarily understand the complexities of it. And it's really important that parents become part of the school community and engage with the school in their anti-bullying policies and in their anti-bullying conversations and recognising that conflict is a normal part of any relationship. So, you know, two children having a fight is normal. What is not normal is when it goes on and on and on and others join sides and start to denigrate that child. So I think having a conversation with parents in their very first week, at their very first time at school, is really important. Let us talk about what we think bullying might be Mm. and let us talk about what is normal in a developmental sense for this age child. Mm. If we think about five, four, four, five, six-year-olds, they don't really have a great sense of what it means to stand in someone else's shoes. Yes, empathy. And and that's because their, their theory of mind is not so well developed so the theory of mind is being able to understand what someone else is thinking that's a very simple simplistic way of saying it but but as they get to about eight then they start to develop a more sophisticated theory of mind and they can understand what that other person might be feeling Mm. but in those very early years they really cognitively can't do that 
So asking them to say, how would you feel, is something quite complex for them. So we really need the parents on board to not be labelling everything as bullying, to understand that conflict is normal, Mm. to help young people and small children understand what's appropriate behaviour in the context. But it's, it's very important that we don't label everything bullying because then we over-label and then when, when we really see serious incidents happening, then we, we don't have anywhere to go. So I would say that for a parent starting school, talk to your teachers, read the policies, attend any, works, any workshops they run about bullying go. It's really interesting. When I go and do workshops at schools, you know, the teachers say, oh, it's the same parents who always come. And I say, yes, because they're the ones that have been touched by it. What the rest of the parent community has to realise is that they will be touched by it at some point too. Mm. If one in four of our children are experiencing bullying every few weeks or more often over the last term, this is not something that's going to go away. Is that a statistic? That is the interrupt. Yes, that is, that is what we are talking about. I mean, that's um, disturbing, Barbara. Yes, it is. It is, and um, you know, there's a lot of data out there which talks about. Uh, and I would I'd point people to Donna Cross's work uh, where where she she did do a national study. It is now quite old, and we need to do something again similarly. But we know that. You know, young people are reporting experiencing bullying at this level. Mm. So for a parent to not acknowledge that this is around and that they, you know, and we know that when young people hit puberty and girls in particular, the peer group and the relationships fall in and out at a regular level. And often it's linked with how early a child develops and who's left behind.
That was Cindy Lauper's classic track, True Colours. And before that, we heard from Dr Barbara Spears on the complexities and impacts of bullying, particularly girls' bullying behaviours in schools. Stay with us now for more of my discussion with Dr Barbara Spears on bullying behaviours in schools and how best to address and educate our community. I'm Becca Posterino on Subject ACT, 2XXFM 98.3. In bullying at schools is... That behaviour or those behaviours, an emulation of what is going on at home, is this often the origin of the behaviour? Is that where it is learnt or is it more a crossover between peers and home life? This is a really, nothing is simple in this area, yes, is it? absolutely um, not. We, when children grow and develop, there is a natural progression to obviously be socialised within the family and then as they grow, the peers become more important. And, you know, we all recognise what happens when we're about 11 and 12 and we suddenly look at mum and dad and go, oh my gosh, you know, I'm embarrassed to be around them. That's that shift that starts to happen where peers matter more. And so we have to recognise that this is not a nice, neat line, Mm. that it moves forwards and backwards across. Do, obviously, children see and children do. Mm. Children learn by modelling. So we as parents, we have to model appropriate behaviour. And, you know, we've seen, you know, how many mothers sit around and talk about another mother? Absolutely, too many. And so we need to be saying to the parents, you know, look at your own behaviour first and say, is this what you want your girls and your children to be doing? Mm. Because they will listen and learn. So, we, you know, we've got these mirrors to us with our children all the time. And so it's not simple to say, yes, it's learnt in the family, but it is simple to say children see and children do and children learn and the modelling does happen. Mm. So reflect upon ourselves. What is it that we're doing Mm. and is this what we want our children to be doing? If, for instance, there is bullying in a school and there is a known model of bullying in the home, whether there's domestic and family violence. How do we as a school or as a classroom, how do we deal with that child who is in that environment at home and who is emulating or modelling that behaviour in the schoolyard? Complex, really complex, because you don't want to make the child feel different or or guilty or excluded or any of those sorts of things. I mean, one of the strategies I would suggest is is a more global strategy for the school to adopt. And that is, you know that question about power at the very beginning? 
in your own class you can look at who's got the power and teachers will recognise where that power sits. Mm. But as as children grow and develop, we can actually be helping educate them about societal power and misuse and abuse of societal power. So, you know, the whole notion about um, where is power in society, where is power in the family, where is power in the community, is to actually help them understand who has the power and how are they using it. So that becomes a bigger, a much bigger sort of picture. The Kids Matter strategies, which um, most of your listeners would probably know about, Kids Matter is a national initiative and it's about using school and community and family to support children's emotional development, social development and mental health development. You know, that works very closely with bringing parents into the community and making them feel part of what is going on, yes. not just as an adjunct, but actually to help educate them, you know, bring them in and teach them about, if you're a parent for the first time, there's a whole lot to learn. And we know that mothers read the books, but fathers don't. Yes. So, you know, how, how can we educate our community about mm. what this community wants and needs to be a wholesome community? I mean, it is about civic engagement in that sense. But if you have communities with, as you indicated, you know, domestic violence, then the children are experiencing living in that community mm. we need to support that child absolutely we not, do not we not do not need to bl- the child we do not need to blame the child we need to find ways of supporting that child and I would say to anybody show me a child that doesn't rise to meet you if you find their strength so you know a strengths-based approach where mm. you can say okay maybe this child has some attachment needs like maybe they're not having their attachment needs met at home as a teacher, I may be the one person that this child connects to. How can I support that child by 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 seeing his strength or her strength, mm. by seeing the beauty in that child? How, Absolutely. And then you help shape the child in a different way. Mm. As a student, a willingness and desire to learn is crucial in their relationship to education. How can bullying impact learning development? On one hand, it's really quite simple. Happy and well children learn best. Yes. So, you know, if a child is unhappy unwell and we put the mentally well perspective there as well if a child is being bullied we know that this has a significant impact on their stress their anxiety and their depression levels as they grow a child doesn't want to come to school of course their learning is going to be impacted we know from meta-analyses that have been done internationally where they bring big studies over 700 studies together and say what is the key message coming out of these studies some of these meta-analyses have demonstrated very clearly that if you teach social and emotional development and support children socially and emotionally within the school context their scores their test scores, whether they be American SATs mm. or our NAPLAN scores, improve. Now, again, this is not rocket science. Happy and well children learn best. So if we can support children, encourage this civic engagement where bullying is not something that we do to get ahead, but we support each other socially and emotionally and therefore our mental health is better, then of course children are going to learn better mm. and they're going to maximise their potential. What responsibility do we have as a community? We talk, you talked about this civic engagement regarding effective measures to confront and manage bullying in schools. What responsibility do we have as a community to recognise and address bullying in schools? I'm, I'm probably going to be a bit provocative here and say that I think that this is a, a child protection issue. Mm-hmm. I think that we as adults have a responsibility to protect our children and our children's rights and their digital rights as well if we go into the cyberspace. Mm-hmm. But if we think about bullying as a child protection issue, then we will all step up 
and say mm. it's everybody's responsibility. Why is that? Why do you think if it's a child protection issue, it becomes well, we often more we important? often think we often think about child protection in terms of abuse and neglect. Yes. If we are neglecting to support our children, yes. to educate our children, then I think we are guilty mm-hmm. of you know stepping into that child protection realm and not actually you know if we step away from it, we're we're not supporting them and we've abrogated our rights. If we consider bullying as a human rights issue, mm-hmm. as a child protection issue, then it becomes not something that children do to each other, but it becomes a societal responsibility. That was Dr Barbara Spears with her progressive insights into bullying. Next week, I explore this issue in further detail, focusing on cultural and social change. And tomorrow, Doug Dobing presents Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT. Doug speaks to Michael Moore co-chair of National Alliance for Action on Alcohol and CEO of the Public Health Association of Australia about reducing alcohol-related harm in the ACT. Tune in every weekday, 8.30 till 9am, for diverse and informed accounts of ACT local current affairs or listen online at www.2xfm.org.au backslash listen. Coming up next... Topical storytelling from community radio networks, all the best. Thanks for your company today on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Posterino. Have a wonderful day.